Welcome to Storytime with Uncle Reddit, a podcast where I read some of the best posts from across Reddit and around the web. Each episode is a collection of funny content that includes subjects like tales from tech support, entitled parents, choosing beggars, pro-revenge, and more. Today's episode is all about tales from tech support. I can't sleep in the same room as my boyfriend when I'm at your house. Fine, we won't sleep there. I was a recent college graduate who had made the immoral choice to move in with a boyfriend without getting married. We moved in together in another state about a six-hour drive from my parents, who lived about two hours away from the boyfriend's parents. When we came back to visit, my parents made us sleep in separate rooms and beds because we weren't married. After a visit or two like this, Christmas holiday rolled around. We were planning to be in the state for the whole week between Christmas and New Year, splitting the time between the two families. We start by spending two nights at my parents, then around dinner time the third day we leave to head to his parents. My parents are surprised and confused that we're not staying longer. They expected us to split the time evenly. My reply? Well, at his parents' house we get to sleep together, so we want to spend the night there. Bye. Before the next visit, they let us know they have decided that since we are a committed couple, they will allow us to share a room even though we're not married. I can kind of see both sides of this one. You know, did I do things the right way when I was younger? The, the right way, you know, traditionally speaking? No. I didn't. <laughs> Not even close. But we tried to instill a certain, I don't want to say morals because it sounds, it sounds highbrow and I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, if, if you're committed, you're committed. That's fine. I don't know that marriage necessarily means anything when it comes to that, except from a religious standpoint. My biggest thing is, you know, when people get so wrapped up with each other and so involved and they move so fast and it's the divorce rate, it's not as high as it was 10 years ago, but it's still really high. And the biggest thing is whether you're married or committed or whatever, you know, jumping into things that fast often leads to uh, split families, kids having to visit dad on the weekends or mom on the weekends. And it's just a, it's just kind of a crappy deal all the way around because people are so self-absorbed that it's all me, 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 now, now, now I want it when I want it. And we, we all had that problem. I, I did the same thing. I had the same problems and I tried to instill in my kids to not follow down that same path that I did. But at the same time, I get where OP's coming from and that's fine too. We have certain house rules here. That used to be one of them. We kind of got a little bit lax on that the last few years and it's, you got to choose your battles, you know? Do is it is it something that I think they should be doing? Not really, but am I going to fight them on it? They got to make their own choices and learn their own lessons. So, yeah. Sorry for the long-winded rant there. Etsy seller asked me to change review from two to five stars if I want a refund. I ordered a ring off Etsy that I thought was cool. When I got the item, I realized that it was not the same. The ring opens up and has multiple rings inside. On the picture, it has different symbols and letters on it. On mine, all inner rings have the same writing on it, and the outer symbols just repeat. I was really disappointed. I made a review for it and gave it two stars, stated the issues above. The seller messaged me and was obviously defensive. She said that she made it by hand and that other customers liked it, but that she could give me a refund. I told her that I'm not sure how it would be possible that she could make it by hand with these issues and that maybe other customers didn't have the same issue but that I gave her feedback that she can use in the future and that I would like a refund. 
She messaged me back and asked for me to change my review and make it 5 stars. Then she'll give a refund. I did just that, but I screenshotted her message asking me to change my review and put that as a review picture. I got a refund right away and didn't have to return the item. I wish I could post a picture of the images of the item opposed to the item I received. I think it should be against the policy of online retail stores to be able to ask this of customers, but I digress. Anyway, the item I ordered is an astrological ring. It's meant to be a armillary sphere. <laughs> you can find them all over the internet. I wasn't aware of that when I bought the item for 20 bucks on Etsy. You can find them on Amazon for 6 Also, check the other reviews. After a few 5 stars, I found a 3 star with the same issues as mine. I've reported her to Etsy and I'm going to contact them in a week. I want to give them time for their investigation. I'm interested to see what updates they have. When they respond, I'll update this post. For those asking why I didn't message the seller first, I shouldn't have to. If you're selling an item you know is not the same as the one you listed, you're in the wrong. It was a Chinese knockoff and we both knew it. This is something that has totally gotten under my skin the last couple years. There are tons of people on Etsy selling things labeled as handmade and I can tell you exactly where they got them from. Whether it was DHgate, Alibaba, whatever, and they bought them in bulk and now they're selling them as handmade items on a hand, supposedly handcraft site. I think Etsy would shut them down if they had a better way of weeding these people out. Unfortunately, it's hard to prove or disprove that something's handmade from their standpoint. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of it. Now, with that said, do I care that they sell that stuff on there? No. I care that they're misrepresenting what they're selling. Don't tell me you made it by hand when you didn't. At least be honest and say you're selling a ring. Don't tell me you made it though, okay? Um, I don't. You don't have to tell me where you got it. I don't care about that. But if I know you're a reseller, okay, fine. If I choose to buy that ring, I choose to buy that ring. As far as pictures go, uh, pictures and descriptions, you know, I make handmade products. And a lot of times when you're duplicating those products, making them by hand, they're not always going to be exact. So the way to cover that is I tell people, this image is just a representation. It does. It's not necessarily going to be exactly like this. Each one's going to be a little different, things like that. I used to make wire jewelry out of copper wire uh, scraps from household electric wire that was leftover scrap or pulled out in a demolition, things like that. I could only get them so close. Uh, and I didn't. And honestly, I didn't want each piece being exactly identical. I wanted each piece to be slightly unique. But I told people that up front. I didn't hide that fact. I didn't, you know, try to make it sound like I could exactly duplicate each one. So, yeah, I don't know. Take me home country roads. Our company requested we download and use a remote work tracking system, which tracks ours. The percentage of time the mouse and keyboard are active, visited URL domains, and it also takes blurred out screenshots every 10 to 20 minutes. They asked we do this for complete trust and transparency. This will help them see who's productive the full 8 hours and who takes breaks so they can cut their pay. First thing I did after downloading the tracker was also download a mouse mover app. And for extra productivity, when I'm bored I just open up my task interface, create a new task, and start typing out the lyrics of Take Me Home Country Road. According to the tracker, my activity is 9% above the company average. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know if I can condone oh, the mouse mover program and all that stuff. Um, 
You know, if you have downtime, you have downtime. I can't blame the company for wanting to track productivity. I mean, if you're getting paid to do a job, now, if they can't keep you busy, if they don't have enough work to feed you or whatever, that's kind of something they need to deal with. But to, you know, if you really can get your job done that quickly and you're spending, you know, say even 30% of your time down because there's nothing to do, I think that's something the company needs to deal with. And, and I think, you know, hiding that, it could be a conflict of interest. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? When I grew up, that would have been theft of time uh, from the company. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just a little too old fuddy-duddy. No walk-ins. Just a short one as it's just happened. Staying away for work, so I've gone to a chain restaurant for dinner. Got here at 1900, so not late. Place is barely half full. Sorry, no walk-ins as we're too busy. You can try these places, but they also might not be taking orders either. Okay then. Walked out, booked a table online, walked back in. Hi, I have a table booked for 1930. I'm now seated with a drink and waiting for food. Again, this comes down to an honesty and integrity thing. The people that told you that when you walked in were hoping to not have to do anything that night. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, otherwise, why wouldn't they just say, listen, we don't take walk-ins, but if you hop on the app right now, odds are pretty good you're going to get a table like within the next half hour or less. They knew it. He knew it. And, uh, yeah, I just, I can't stand those games, man. I can understand using the online apps to, uh, get your seating organized and stay on track and things like that, especially with the lack of help in a lot of restaurants right now. So, uh, oh, well, good for OP for sticking with it on the spot. No worries, but you deal with the consequences. I absolutely hate it when people in the workforce try to be face or use someone's ethnicity as a way to prove inclusivity, when in reality there's probably only one person of color in the entire office. Well, happy morning. I'm in charge of writing a report and recording a video to highlight the company's achievements and work. Well, howdy do, what a surprise. The company is majorly white male dominated and all the women are either in junior roles or not involved in the specific work which the report focuses on. And of the report I sent out the previous week, describing what I will be focusing on during this week for filming. My supervisor stated that I initially had, in their words, too many white people in the video. Even if you need to move around the people of color, do so, so that they're in the video and make it look diverse. Uh, okay. So I removed some names and added some of the diverse people, but imagine their surprise because they didn't actually work on any of the projects mentioned. In an entire office meeting held about positivity and inclusion of others in the company, someone brings up my video and they ask why the project they're working on is being spoken on by another member of staff. They ask this to my supervisor who passed the question to me. I'm not prepared. They didn't say it's a secret or anything. Well, okay. It's for the sake of diversity. There are too many white people in the video and I was advised by a supervisor to cut some of you. Whoops. Supervisor wasn't happy, so they attempted to quickly change the subject. Okay, meeting adjourned. There are biscuits in the canteen for everyone. <laughs> I got called into a meeting right after and was told in not so many words that lying is needed because we can't let people know we're bee-facing. Lamau. Anyways, the biscuits tasted really good. And hopefully you understood what the bee-facing word was. Uh, I'm so afraid of being demonetized with certain words and terms and things like that that, uh, yeah, I gotta be careful. Uh, I didn't even mean to leave it in print, but there it is. 
just shoehorning people in so that you can meet a diversity quota really doesn't work. And that's been proven. Yeah, that whole debacle with the video thing was just a bad look. It's 20 freaking 19. Please buy the office a digital scanner. I'm an orthodontist. I have my own practice, but I needed to supplement my income by working for this one corporate orthodontic practice several years ago to help pay off some debt. Dental school and residency put me in a massive hole. This company was sold to the corporation by an older orthodontist who hadn't invested in his office for years prior to the sale. After they acquired the practice, it was subject to their investors' thumbs, so we really operated on a lean, mostly old technology infrastructure. It was a miracle I convinced them to upgrade their IT infrastructure and patient record software early on. They still went cheap with it, but at least the software was full-featured. HIPAA compliant, faster than the old garbage, and had the things I needed to ensure proper scheduling and record keeping. After working for them for a few years, I asked for a digital intraoral scanner. That wand that scans your mouth to make a digital copy of your teeth and bite on a computer. For those of you not too familiar with dentistry in general, back in the day when we need to get an impression of your teeth and bite, we used alginate. An algae-based powder with which you add water to make a goopy putty that firms up after about two minutes. This office never left those old days and it made the patient experience terrible. Alginate is messy, gets all over your lips and cheeks, is slimy in your mouth, and it feels like it's going down your throat. Cue gag reflexes in many, many patients, especially those on the spectrum. Additionally, it adds a lot of lab work, appliance turnaround is slower, and it takes away from the available schedule time due to setup and cleanup. Any imperfections in the impression required a retake. Oh yeah, it also needs to have dental stone poured into it within several hours and is a one-shot deal. Hope it's accurately poured up, because if it breaks or fails, you're SOL and need another alginate impression. My personal practice has had these scanners for a few years by this point, and I kept preaching to the company how positive the feedback from patients and staff efficiencies alone would provide a good ROI with numbers to back it up for the bean counters. Still, they didn't want to purchase a digital scanner. Meanwhile, being a terribly run corporate orthodontic office, we had quite a bit of turnover with assistants. New assistants would usually know how to take a good digital scan, but alginate impressions were so-so. Teaching new assistants how to take digital scans is also relatively easy compared to alginate impressions. So I'm getting tired of this constant training. The long-time assistant is getting tired of the constant training, and I tell them they really need to get a scanner or we're going to start pissing off a lot of people, myself included. Again, they say no and to drop the issue. If you want a scanner so bad, why don't you buy one yourself? Fine. I take a business loan out to buy a scanner, start up an LLC for a dental lab, and I charge this company a monthly fee to use any digital lab project. Any digital scan was charged a flat fee on top of a monthly digital workflow fee. I didn't really try to gouge them on the fees. Still below market rate, but still very handsome. I lose my accountant in on my new business, and they set up all the books to ensure I wasn't exposing myself to the IRS. Patients are now ooing and aahing at this new gadget, and how high-tech we finally are, and I start seeing things trending the way I predicted. Staff are happier. Patients are definitely happier, especially the oral-sensitive ones. Mistakes are down. Appliances fit way better with fewer remakes. Patients are able to get things done on their schedule as we have more chair time available, and appliances are coming back faster from the labs. And best of all, I'm making more money off this miserly company because rather than buy their own scanner and use it as a tax deduction, they're paying me way more than it would have cost them instead. 
Sure, they can deduct my lab fees as an expense, but it still costs them more in the long run to do that than bring 2019 technology into the office on their own. Even better, when I left that office, I took that scanner with me since it was legally mine. Edit. I forgot one nasty issue with alginate. If anyone took it out of the mouth before it's set, the stuff would ooze everywhere and take a long time to get out of the mouth. See, when it's fully set in one piece, it comes out in nearly one piece with a few crumbs left in between some teeth. When you take out the impression tray before the alginate is set, because the PT freaks out and pulls the hand and impression tray out too early, well, now you got this oozing, dripping goo, individually setting up as many smaller batches of alginate that needs to be picked out. Roof of the mouth, in between teeth, under the tongue, stuck to the inside of the cheeks, on the lips, on the chewing surfaces. So glad I don't have to deal with it anymore. I couldn't imagine dealing with that stuff uh, and casting somebody's mouth. I don't want to work in somebody's mouth anyway. That's, uh, yeah. I've made casts of things before and uh, using silicone and things like that, it's frustrating enough. But in somebody's mouth where things move around and, you, you know, you got to be dead on with your timing. When there's a digital scanner that can do it for you quicker and cleaner, um, yeah, it just doesn't make sense to keep with the old ways. I'm sorry, but the seats are first come, first serve. My family recently took our summer vacation touring several national parks in the western U.S. One of these parks offered a covered wagon ride out to a remote location where they would serve up an Old West cowboy dinner. thought to myself that this would be so great. My family will love this. I made reservations for our family of four to eat like the cowboys of the Old West did. As we drove out to the stable, we noticed the skies were getting gray. We parked and checked in along with a hundred-ish other hungry diners. We asked the person at the window about the rain policy and they said that they run rain or shine. The wagons are covered and they have a covered pavilion to eat your authentic cowboy meal under. There you have it. Let's go. We gathered some rain gear from the truck and moved to the gathering point. They have several covered wagons parked in a row to make the trip. It starts to rain even before we get to board the wagons. It's all good. We have a rain gear on. We eventually board one of the last wagons and head out to our destination as a wagon train. We take in the sights as it starts raining harder. After about 30 minute ride to the pavilion, we offload and make a dash for the pavilion. But hold up! The dinner bell starts to ring just as we're going by the serving area, so we detour in there and grab our dinner plates. My mouth is watering as we head to the pavilion where the picnic tables are. Well, wouldn't you know it, there aren't enough tables for all the guests to eat undercover. All the first wagon riders had someone put their dibs on the tables, even though they're going to have to wait several minutes for the people to return with their food. We round to a few tables and people won't budge. These seats are taken. There was a staff member who saw this and politely asked if anybody would move. Not a single table would make room. The staff member turned to us and said, I'm sorry, but these seats are first come, first serve. So we take our half-soggy steak dinners out to a table that's under a tree and try and wolf it down. We were eating what we could before the meal became totally soaked. Then I spied the fire pit where the staff was huddled on one side trying to keep warm and serving up cowboy coffee. So we moved over to the stumps circling the fire pit to get warmer and finish our soggy dinners. We purposely spread out as to effectively block the entire side that wasn't being used by the staff. Cue the malicious compliance. It had stopped raining by now. The other guests started to filter out from under the pavilion to get warm around the fire. I hear people behind us whispering amongst themselves that they can't feel the fire that far back. I start commenting to my significant other how warm the fire is and how the cowboy coffee really warms you up quick. 
A few more minutes go by and I hear one person passively aggressively asking if the people up front are going to move to allow other people to get warm. I tell my significant other that it's too bad that nobody made room under the pavilion for us to eat so we're going to enjoy our first come first serve seats by the fire until it's time to get back on the wagons. Carmen can be a bee sometimes. I don't blame OP one bit. If somebody had done that to me, wouldn't even squeeze in to make a little room for our family, then screw you. You get no fire. You get no cowboy coffee either because I'm going to make damn sure I drink it all. And I don't drink coffee. You've been listening to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. If you enjoy this content, be sure to follow my podcast. I upload new episodes at least three times a week.